only way that retirement as vacation makes sense is if one has traded a biblical view of the family for a lame version that says families exist just to launch children into the world where they can discover their unique identity apart from the family and without any help from older generations. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Our good friend EJ, who is an Abe's Wallet uh, listener, and part of the Volley Channel. She's, she's kind of the, the room mom for the Volley Channel. She is. And um, she has her own podcast called Freedom Families. And it is very much in the same space as Abe's Wallet. Um, anyway, she had me on as a guest. And I talked about Abraham's Wallet and kind of the what we're about. And I thought it was a great conversation because she she uh, came at the conversation from somebody who she's only been a Christian like, I don't know, seven years, I think. Um, she didn't grow up with a believing family. So th she that's why she's so hungry to learn about how to run a family um, in a God honoring way. And she asked questions that we don't normally ask of ourselves because we have these suppositions like, well, of course, Abraham. So she's like, why, why the reference to Abraham? Where, where'd that come from, et cetera. So I thought it was a really good conversation and it's on freedom families, courtesy of our friend EJ. So that that's my tease. And I encourage people to go find that now. And welcome to all the freedom families listeners who have found us for the first time now this could be this could be your your first experience that's true yes sure welcome freedom families and um the freedom family people are, are probably have the same question as some of our volley folks had which is uh, what does your shirt mean this shirt oh it says half send i love it I, i'm surprised that people don't chuckle at this but i guess it has to be explained have you, is is the term full send not like a thing in Cincinnati? Is that like when you've you've depressed the button to send the email but you haven't depressed the button so that's fully gone? No, full send is like I'm going to go full send and you're going to then do something awesome. That sounds uh, like um something with the in the x sports world yes so, so no and this shirt pokes a little fun at that mentality and says for me i'm just gonna go half send right now i, I don't have any need to go full send okay um it's very much something you would approve of because you're not like an x sports mentality kind of guy no so um if you're at the big uh, uh, microbrewery after the big mountain biking exposition and somebody sees that shirt and they're like, yeah, keep it real, guy. Slow it down a little bit. 
Is that what it is? I got this say? t-shirt because it, it was being sold by my favorite YouTubers, which is the Vlog Creations channel. And they're just a bunch of wackos in Florida who do funny videos. Okay. And they also have one that says sexually active. And I really tried to get Amelia to buy them for her patients. So that like when you hit eight months pregnant, you get the sexually active. Now shirt. that would be funny. She was unwilling. That was not professional, but. Oh, that, that would be great. You're about to go on a trip. Is that right? Next week, we're going to be in St. George. Is that Canada? That is Utah. Oh, St. George, Utah. Yeah, down about 45 minutes outside of Vegas. Vegas, Utah? Las Vegas, Nevada. And is St. George a vacation destination? Yes, it is, a, it is the second biggest city in Utah. Outside of the the Salt Lake metro area. And it's very famous for red rock hiking and golf courses and all sorts of outdoor stuff. It's, It's relatively close to Lake Powell. It's very close to Zion National Park. Um... You can go to sand dunes and like surf on sand dunes. You can visit the Grand Canyon in a short drive. And is Lake Powell dry? Uh, Like completely? Yeah. No. Okay. You can still houseboat on it. Yes. I think for Lake Powell to be dry, it means that probably everyone has perished here. That would be, that would be significant. I just remember seeing photos of like, you know, boats and dry docks and like boats laying in sand, but maybe that's seasonal. I mean, it's probably real low and you could probably find docks that were on the ground, but the whole thing's not dry. We are not going to Lake Powell because every time Lake Powell is on the news, it's because some four-year-old drowned there. So I'm waiting until my kids are like able to do a triathlon before they're allowed to go to Lake Powell. You don't want them to be news fodder. I understand. Right. Okay. And But you're going there for spring break, for, for a vacation. It is a very popular spring break spot for Utahns because it's and- warm. And we're going to... My mother-in-law has rented a house that has like 30 beds. And so my sister and her family and Amelia's brother and his family and us, we're all going together. Nice. And we're going to have, we're going to bring in a chef for a little bit of time. I love it. Mother-in-law just said, what am I doing here? I've got all this money. Let's, uh, let's use it for family. Couldn't agree more. All right. I'm ready. Okay. So the, the clickbait headline that we are, are going to talk about today (laughs) is is retirement unbiblical hmm? and the answer is no thanks for coming everybody and all right once again, we'll always enjoy the time on abraham's wallet um let me talk about this for a second so john piper you know John, right, Stephen? I do. Minnesota. Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis. Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he, I, I 
was looking into what some of the respected pastoral folks of evangelicalism have said on this topic. And he says, in one of his sermons, he famously said, Lord, spare me the curse of retirement. And he called on the church to resolutely resist retirement. So John Piper would say retirement is a big thumbs down. And I wonder how we're defining that term. See, that's, that's his, we're going to get into that. Okay. Um, but I do hear a lot of clients, because I, I ask almost everybody when I'm talking to them, to describe for me what an ideal retirement looks like. And increasingly, a lot of clients, they talk about it like it's a sin. Um, they kind of say, well, I'm, I'm not going to retire. Why would... I don't want to retire. I, I'm doing good work. I'm being creative. I'm using my giftings. I don't ever want to retire. And so why do they feel that way? Um, what what is what has gotten into the to the cultural milieu that makes people feel like retirement is not a goal, but even maybe amongst our people at least, maybe it's it's something to be sort of avoided. Um that's what I kind of want to talk about. And, and of course, once we figure out what retirement is, what we mean by that word, uh, and why maybe there's a reaction against it, we're going to look at what does the Bible have to say about retirement. Good idea. And then I'm going to provide, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, five pitfalls that our Abrahamic homies could potentially fall into when they're thinking about this phase of life. At the last, say, uh, depending on who you are, few decades. Uh, okay. Sound good? Yep. All right. Um, what do you think of when I say the word retirement, Stephen? Um, Winnebago. Really? Wow. I didn't think of Winnebago. Um, did your grandparents I, have a Winnebago? No, my aunt and uncle did. I think of... Um, I think of George Costanza's parents in Boca Boca Vista wearing Hawaiian shirts. Yes. And um meeting at the community center for bridge night. That's it. So the baby boomers and their parents have mostly bought into the retirement as vacation paradigm. And that's new. Um and I'm going to talk about that. I'm Del going to read a Boca section. Vista. I just remembered it. Del Boca Vista. <laughs> That's pretty perfect. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read some a passage from a book in a second that kind of describes the history of where modern retirement came from. But Great. it only makes sense, this idea of retirement as vacation, if one has traded a biblical view of the family for a lame... I think what maybe Rod Dreher would refer to as a liquid modernity uh, outlook that says families exist to launch children into the world where they can discover their unique destiny completely apart from the family unit and without any help from their older generations. So if if that's your view of the family, our job is to fire out some kids and give them what they need to have a fair fighting chance at success, and then we're out. Well, then, sure, I guess this is what retirement looks like. But to me, it's very sad. So let me read you this section here. 
from a book called An Uncommon Guide to Retirement. This is by a guy named Jeff Haanen. H A A N E N. Haanen. I think okay. it's Hawaiian, maybe. Okay. Um, Haanen. Uh-huh. Anyways. Haanen. Pooi, pooi. I'm going to read you like two and a half pages. So My Hawaiian is limited to poi poi, which is their rice dish, and the olukai sandals. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of Hawaiians in Utah. So the Mormons have done a lot of outreach to the, to oh. the Polynesian people. It's um, very compassionate. And it always makes me snicker when I ask someone where they're from and they say, I, I can't even do it, but the way they say their state Hawaii. Hawaii. It's like, it's like a full body Hawaii. with an accent. Yeah. Anyways, okay. they know how to do it better than me. So let's let's hear what Jeff Ha'anen says about <laughs> where retirement came from. It's kind of like Chinese. Did you know that Chinese, it's a different word based on the note that you say it in? Yes. We okay. are good friends with Lulu and right. her they're different words in Chinese, but in English, same word. Loop. Okay. I thought I was going to um, say something clever there, but you already know about it. Yeah. Um, this makes me snicker too, because we're going to hear a retirement community in this passage uh, with the Dell a modifier. But Okay. Let's see. Wake up and live in Sun City for an active way of life, said the radio advertising jingle for the Dell Web Corporation in 1960. Wake up and live in Sun City, Mr. Senior Citizen and Wife. Don't let retirement get you down. Be happy in Sun City. It's a paradise town. Retirement communities started appearing in the 1920s, but it was real estate developer Dell Webb's Sun City, a sprawling housing development for seniors built just outside of Phoenix, Arizona, that popularized retirement as a year-round vacation in post-World War II America. The history of retirement stretches back to... What year do you think, Stephen? I thought you just told me it was post-war America. The history mm. of retirement stretches back to... 1875, when Otto von Bismarck, the minister president of Prussia, proposed government-provided financial support for citizens over the age of 70. This was at a time when life expectancy was 46. By the 1920s, several American industries, from railroads to oil to banking, provided some pensions to older Americans. In 1935, the Social Security Act passed under Franklin Delano Roosevelt, which set set the retirement age initially at 65, in part to encourage older workers to exit the workforce so that younger workers affected by the Great Depression might replace them. In the 1950s, a steady expansion of benefits began, first for those in commerce and industry, and then benefits expanded to farmers, domestic workers, and the disabled. In 1965, Hospital insurance arrived through the passage of Medicare. In 1952, H.B. Kanagi of Mutual Life Insurance advised business leaders at the National Industrial Conference Board about the best way to sell retirement to their employees. He suggested distributing stories in company newsletters about happily retired people playing golf and walking on the beach. He counseled them to also emphasize what they did to get ready for the life they are now living, like stashing a portion of their monthly salary into company pension plans. The message, invest now and the dream can be yours. The expansion of social security benefits and a nationwide effort to make to market a new retirement lifestyle provided fertile soil for Dell Webb's Sun City. On New Year's Day in 1960, Webb and Tom Breen, Webb's associate, 
hoped for 10,000 visitors to their new creation. A housing development for seniors complete with lawn bowling, swimming pool, card rooms, auditorium, and a shopping center. Over 100,000 people arrived for the spectacle. Whoa. By 1980, 50,000 people lived in Sun City, making it the seventh largest city in Arizona. As the idyllic retirement lifestyle gained in popularity, the number of older Americans in the labor force dropped precipitously. By 1940, the first year Social Security was paid out, 41% of men over age 65 were in the labor force. By 1960, the year Sun City opened, it dropped to 30.5%. And in 1999, it was only 16.3%. Today, of men, of men how old? Over age 65. Okay. So today, the dominant paradigm of retirement is about vacation, how to afford it, and then how to make the most of it. A Google search for the word retirement shows articles, ads, and tips on how to save enough money for it and a host of books on how to enjoy it. How to retire happy, wild, and free, 101 fun things to do in retirement, and design your dream retirement. Retirement gifts follow suit. A coffee mug that reads goodbye, tension, hello, pension. A kitchen wall hanging with the acronym retire that says relax, entertain, travel, indulge, read, enjoy. And the wine glass that reads, I can wine all I want, I'm retired. A more whimsical version of the let's vacation paradigm includes the Red Hat Society, an international women's organization for women over 50, inspired by Jenny Joseph's poem, Warning, which begins, when I am an old woman, I shall wear purple with a red hat, which doesn't go and doesn't suit me. I've been good long enough, goes the train of thought. Time to let loose and enjoy life. I deserve a vacation. So I have so many I, comments. I think that really captures what I have seen in my own family, in generations, uh, you know, be, before my parents' generation. Um, there has definitely been a vacation mentality to uh, what retirement is. And I just want to get it across to our listeners that this is a new phenomenon. This has not been the story for any of human history until, like we heard, about 1960. Okay. Working from most recent to the beginning. Great. I've seen these women with these purple dresses and red hats traveling around together. They're like a group of geese. What do you call it? a gaggle of a geese? A gaggle. All flapping their wings and laughing and talking. It's a party. It's a party wherever they go. And and wherever there's wherever there's a historical tourist trap, say uh Trevi Fountain in Rome, you're going to you're going to find some red hat ladies there. Then I would say Otto van Bismarck Otto von Bismarck. Why, why do we know that name? I, I think I know that he was the first chancellor of Germany. But why do we know that name? Do you know? what's? Why do we know Otto von Bismarck? Von Bismarck? I don't know. I don't know. You're not talking to, to a history buff here. Okay. Um, but he's too early for any world wars. Yeah, I bet he was in maybe the Prussian... I don't know. Okay. And then... I was disturbed at you describing how this employer wanted to encourage the idea of retirement to the employees. And I wanted to ask you, what would be the incentive? Why does an employer want its employees to go to retire? Oh, this, is, this is absolutely still a major thing um, because especially back um, 
when there was kind of standard promotions that you stay here, you're going to get promoted this much each year. Yeah. Um, if you've got a guy on your assembly line uh, who has been there for 40 years, he probably does about the same thing that the guy who started last year does. And now he makes three times as much. So you're looking to get those guys out, save money, and replace them with young people who can do similar work. Um, and big companies of all sorts still do this today. If you think about it, there's kind of an up or out trajectory right. to a lot of companies. And if you aren't going to become a VP, um, there's not a lot of, of interest at in many companies for a middle manager or even an lower level person who's 60 years old. They, they're like, I don't know what to do with you. So see you later. So a lot of people end up kind of getting offered a package to leave and employers will still pay you sometimes to take an early retirement uh, or they just get the boot. Yeah. The age of the, you know, old people used to be called pensioners. And that was a really common term in England when I lived there. They called old people pensioners. Because the idea was you were with one company for your career and you received a pension from that company once uh, you weren't physically capable of doing the job anymore. But there's almost no pensioners left because nobody stays with a company that long. And if you're if you're over 65 and working, you're probably a, a greeter at Walmart, right? Um they're not letting you hang around at 75 in an executive position much anymore. Is that, is it, I'd like to see yeah. those numbers about, about how, how, how rare pensioning has become. Do you know, do you have yeah. any feel? It's very rare. I, I don't have the numbers at my fingertips. I will say my wife has a pension, which is pretty fun. Yeah. Um, but the, the physicians that are starting at her company now do not. So it's something that phased out right after she started. And yep. um, I don't know if we'll ever see any of that money. It's kind of with all pensions, you know, my wife's family has a long line of GM employees from back in the day. And um, they started seeing all those pension benefits that everybody had relied on and been promised getting rolled back as the company did worse and worse. So you've kind of thought this is this is how I'm going to pay for my retirement and then by the time you get retired there's a whole lot less there than you thought so um, I think people feel that way about social security now which is I don't know how much I can trust that this thing's going to be there for me um, well, mostly interested in this idea of retirement as vacation it feels like for a lot of retired folks they have sort of withdrawn into this super selfish I'm just I guess I'm just going to like find ways to entertain myself mode. And, and the thesis of this book is there's still a lot of kingdom work out there available to you okay. in these years. All right, um, proceed. But I, I think that, you know, I was talking to a client earlier today and we were just talking and we were talking about this on the household help episode it's really bananas. The idea, if you went back 200 years and talked to the average mom uh, and said, well, you are supposed to raise all the kids you have, just you and your husband, and that's it. That's crazy. Um, 
it's really hard to take care of small children. And the way that it has been done in almost every culture throughout human history until very recently is that it has been a family project. You know, there will be grandparents, aunts and uncles, and they will all be involved in the raising of children. Um, That is, it's almost offensive now to many uh, 70 year olds, the idea that uh, you, your primary responsibility is actually to now get in, roll your sleeves up and do all the stuff again. Right. There's very much a mentality of, well, I'm done. My I'll job put in my is, time. Yeah. It's your time to suffer now. Um, and so I, I think that that combined with just the barrage of marketing messages that says that you save all this money, you need $10 million to, to retire so that you can go, take cruises three times a year and really, you know, live it up. You know, I think that it's preventing people who are otherwise very thoughtful, Christ-following grandparents from kind of stepping back and going, wait a second, I think I'm living in a way that if I had been living this way when I was 40, I would have told myself, what are you doing, you hedonistic jerk? Um, But it's become just culturally acceptable that, when you're retired, the goal is just full, turn it up to 10 on the entertainment and have a good old time. Uh, and maybe do a little volunteering so that you're, you know, feel good about yourself. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's the biblical picture of retirement. So uh, okay. I, I think, I think that let's look at what the Bible does have to say about let's. retirement. Um, Proverbs 6 6, we did a whole series on it. It's consider the ant. Um, and what does the ant do? She stores up for seasons when she can't harvest. That's why she's gathering food in the summer. Um, so the idea that we shouldn't be saving, we've covered this a lot. We believe that you should be saving. Um, so I think the Bible is full of admonitions to not live like a chucklehead and spend everything you've got and just say, well, tomorrow will take care of itself. I'm just going to live it up. Um, There's clearly an admonition to be diligent and thoughtful in how you prepare for the future in the scriptures. I think that James 4.13 is a relative relevant passage. It says, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So we're supposed to be diligent and prepare for the future. We're also not supposed to get cocky and say, well, we've got it all planned out. I think as financial planners, you and I can kind of go, hey, we can really help a family like map the whole future. Check, check, check. Sometimes I laugh because I'm sitting with 25-year-olds and talking about how much income they will generate in the year that they're 62. And it's like, this is silly. This is obviously not real. Um, But... So there's there's ditches on both sides of this road. One is is saying, well, we don't need to prepare. The other is saying, we know the future. We can look at our uh, pile of money. I mean, Luke twelve sixteen. You know the 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 parable of the the rich fool 
who says, what should I do? I've got too much grain. I guess I'll build bigger barns. And then the Lord says, you, little do you know that your, night, your life is going to be required of you tonight. Um, that's not, we can't build up a big enough IRA to look at it and go, the future is now safe. Um, yeah. that's, that's just as much foolishness as, uh, you know, too much folding of the hands that results in no diligence and savings. Yeah. So there's two ditches on the side of this road. Uh, but did you know that God's law included retirement, uh, for his, for his prescribed workers in numbers eight twenty four for the Levites? Yeah. So it says, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, this applies to the Levites from 25 years old and upward, they shall come to do duty in the service of the tent of the meeting. And from age of 50 years, they shall withdraw from the duty of the service and serve no more. They minister to their brothers at the tent of meeting by keeping guard, but they shall do no service. Thus shall you do to the Levites in assigning their duties. So God also prescribed that there would be a time of working and a time when their role would change in the workforce. Um, I think we could we could get a little reckless with that passage and expand it to means things that it doesn't mean. But it is clear that God doesn't say, you should just work until you fall over dead at yeah. this one role. What we can say is that God prescribes non-working years at the end of life, and there is provision for those non-working years. Yeah, and if I if I really zoom in on that passage, it doesn't say go back to your tent and chill. It says that they will be doing duty by keeping guard to and it says they minister to their brothers in the tent of meeting by keeping guard. That's the role of the retired guys. And so I'm going to talk about That's that a bit, cool. but but keeping guard and ministering to the brothers. That that sounds like a good retirement to me. It does. Um so I'm just curious, Stephen, you know, I don't want it to come across like I'm shaking my fist at older generations because I really do think this was not even questioned for our parents and our grandparents. The idea that the the right move when you retire, like I don't think it was some God-hating sinful move for them to move to Florida. Um, I think they were sold a bill of goods that was... Right, false, and that did have sin in it, but I don't think anybody's really talked about this. Um, like, I don't know. Have you ever heard of someone being put in church under church discipline for uh, moving to Florida and playing golf every day? No. Do you think they should? I think it's very possible. Whether how often church discipline happens or how often Matthew eighteen gets invoked is a completely other issue, I would just say most of the things that operate under 501c3 tax code uh, shelters are religious organizations that exist to to get uh, participants into their club and make money and are not interested in being the church of the living God. So I think that um, Matthew 18 should be invoked quite regularly if we're actually watching over one another's lives, is which is what Hebrews 13 says that pastors and leaders are actually supposed to do. But that's rarely what they do. They, they usually run programs. So there's a little rant for you. I, I have more rant where that comes from if you ever need more. 
So you think I could have just stopped that question? Have you ever heard of anyone being put under church discipline? <laughs> yes, I think so. I think so. I could count them on one hand. Nice. Um, so what does a biblical retirement look like? And this is supposed to be our quick episode, so I'm not going to go. I think we could probably explore a lot of the avenues that we're going to just broadly brush today. Right. But um, I think that you can make a case that grandparenting, which means not just showing up for Christmas and taking photos with the kids, but like getting deeply involved, educating, uh, training in in walking with the Lord. Um, you know, this is something that, that we've talked a lot about finding out who your Pauls are and who your Timothys are, like who are your mentors and who are you mentoring? Well, God has created a place where that just absolutely happens naturally, which is called the family. And you're not supposed to just learn how to do it when you're, you know, 24 and you have your first kid. And now I guess I'm supposed to learn how to do this. Yep. You're supposed to have your father there who is still doing that for you and starts doing it for your kids and you learn and you move. And um, so I think that is that is a role that if it is abandoned, regardless of why, um, it's probably you're, you're starting to, to step outside of the biblical picture of retirement. Um, but I don't think it stops there. I think mentoring in general is part of the way God designed the church. Um, this is men and women. I mean, the older women are supposed to, to teach the younger women. Um, that's something, yeah, that's something that my wife has said repeatedly, like, where are these people? Uh, I don't like, we're part of a church and where are all the older women that are sitting there? Like, nagging the younger women like hey you you need to get some of this i've got some things to to instruct you in yeah um and so um all of that i think working is a part of it and i think a lot of the reaction against retirement that i hear from the millennials uh is well i want to work i don't want to just play like they they see some of this stuff and they go well that's not that doesn't feel right um, but the world says your identity for the most part is very connected to the job you do. That's why we've denigrated the choice for a woman to stay at home, for example. Sure. Um, that's, that's anti God thinking. Yep. It doesn't matter if you are a surgeon who, is super gifted or you're a CEO who is having a huge impact uh, uh, in the workplace, your identity still is not primarily... Or a garbage man. Exactly. So I think that we have taken the word work and made it mean occupation for which I get income, whether that's my business or if I am an employee or whatever. Um, And so when we think about retirement, we think, well, I would leave that so I would no longer be working. Well. Not true. Um, you're supposed to be doing all manner of work, some of which is the stuff I just said, some of which is rolling your sleeves up. And um, I think about my father-in-law who passed away and, you know, he was very committed to career. So didn't really figure some of this stuff out that we're talking about. But when he was present, we were like, man, life is a lot easier with this guy around. Mm. He's He is fixing the lawnmower and mowing the lawn and 
fixing stuff that I didn't even know was broken that he found. He's just like roaming the house. And I think about, man, if we had a guy like this around twice a week, our life would not feel as stressful where we feel wrung out because we've got a bunch of tiny babies and trying to do that. So I do think that the God intends work to continue all the way up to the day that we meet Jesus. Any comments on on all of these uh, opinions I'm throwing out? So you would say retirement, we can think of retirement as um, not producing income, but the the vocation of a person um, and them being contributors, them being, um, yeah, contributors is the best word. Um, that, that shouldn't stop ever. Correct. Um, yeah. And I don't, some of, some of our listeners will earn income until the day they die. Uh, I'm going to talk about that, but a lot of them, uh, will stop working, uh, for wages or stop operating a business that brings in income. Um, and that doesn't mean the idea that like, Hey, I'm going to stop working really doesn't have a whole lot of bearing on whether my assignments from the Lord are done. I still have all those things that are more important than whatever my occupation was. Those are all still assignments. Yeah. So I hear that, um, well, just to connect some dots, I hear that fathering, uh, first of all, I hope everybody knows this. Fathering doesn't stop when your child turns 18 and and isn't eating the groceries in your refrigerator every day. That fathering actually expands as you grow older and there are more generations um, that can come underneath your covering. So I see that like if fathering is walking alongside a son or daughter talking with them through values, talking with them through their problems and their questions. Um, You gain the opportunity to do that full time when you are not working for an income. And so um, I think of the gray beards that I draw from who make themselves available to me. And there are still some guys who are in their late 60s um, who are in that category for me that I don't that are still hard to get hold of sometimes because they're still working and still um, working for income, and it would be better if they weren't. It would be better for me, and it'd be better for the church at large if these men were were free and had you know retirement savings uh, money that could carry them. Um, but I also hear as you're describing the. Um, your father-in-law that sort of just being, I I think of my dream of one of my dreams of retirement is sort of being the uh, gray hair who kind of loiters in the back of the auditorium after church services filter out or like wherever the Christians get together. I don't mean necessarily church service, but like I'm just kind of there and um. I could fix things and I could solve problems and I could tinker and our washing machine doesn't work. Can you figure it out? Yeah. I don't know how to fix a washing machine, but yes, I'm the, I'll be the public servant at that time. And if, if you don't have the 
carnival of young children uh, in your home that you're working with, well, then you can actually solve bigger problems. You can put your mind to uh, larger community problems because hopefully when you're in your 70s, you have a wider view of the world than just your generation, just your home, just your little local church. And now we're getting into the world of the city fathers and what these men are supposed to be doing. And Proverbs 1 represents this guy as apparently this guy has. And and by the way, I'm going to quote Jeremy Pryor here and say that we were talking about um, Proverbs 31 in a men's uh, discussion group, which is called a Midrash. And we'll talk about that later. But um, in this men's discussion group, we're talking about Proverbs 31. And Jeremy made the point that. Proverbs 31 is so overwhelming for so many like 27-year-old mothers because it's a picture of radical maturity. Like this lady is at least in her 50s, if not in her 60s, who is making all this stuff happen. And she's she has systems that are, have been in place for decades that she's developed. And it, it's, it's nigh unto impossible for a 27-year-old to live out that Proverbs 31. So if we imagine that the Proverbs 31 woman has gray hair, then her husband being at the city gates as a sort of freelance father, problem solver, big picture thinker for the city makes a lot more sense to think this guy might actually not be working for income. He's probably... If he's a Luke 10 uh, man of peace, he probably is a business owner and that business is still earning him money without him being there presently physically. And he has the time and space to work on other things besides uh, the maintenance of his own home because those systems are in place. So I'm kind of riffing a little bit. But when I think of you talking about what is I'm, I'm going back to that verse that you referenced in Leviticus about keeping guard and ministering to the brothers. And, and those two things must insinuate that there's fathering and there's problem solving going on that for me, I mean, I know that this is the case for me that keeping guard means that I am watching the, I am watching the perimeter of the culture and looking at the things that threaten the church, and I'm going to be sounding an alarm. I know I'm going to be doing that till the day that I die. Um, and I, anyways, th- those are the kind of things that I see in what you're describing as yeah. sort of retirement is a funny word to, to use for it. I mean, it, it, graduation is a better word, but what 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 you're talking about is no longer working for income, right? Yeah, and you know, if we phrase it the way you just did. You could even say we could we could retitle this episode to be even more controversially oh titled. Oh boy! Well, let me get out of my quill. We could say, "Is it sinful not to retire?" <laughs> right. Um, because you're right. It some people they don't get their stuff together and they realize when they're sixty, oh, I didn't save anything. And it's not too late to still create a plan and come up with something. But they might go, I'm going to need to work for another 15 years. Yeah. And good on that man or that family for realizing that and confronting reality and not just saying, well, I guess we'll live in destitution. But um, there is a better way. And being diligent throughout one's life in anticipation of I'm going to need to be free 
for those years so that I can take on even bigger tasks. That's really important. That's Um, excellent. Just like I think we would say it's very important for a father to find ways to free himself up so that when he is between 40 and 50, he's not working for a company that says the only way that we're going to pay you is if you're away from your family for two thirds of the year. Like that's not a good move for somebody who's trying to raise a family. Um, you know, so there is some, some component of this that in, I actually think there is righteousness to, to be had by diligently planning so that you are freed up to do the things that are most important. What I want to cover next is really just four pitfalls that the Abrahamic guy might fall into and really what makes what makes the average millennial that I talk to in our financial planning business say like something like, I don't ever want to retire. I No, I'm not going to do that. Um, I think there's some common things that I just see over and over that I would like to point out and potentially rebut here on the Abraham's Wallet podcast. All right, okay, hit it. Okay, number one, I hear this all the time. I will, I'm going to work forever. I'm never going to stop working. And by work, they mean at a job or running a business. I'm going to always be bringing in income. And I'm going to say this is rooted in several sinful ideas. Um, first, we already covered James 4.13. You're saying, I know what tomorrow holds. Uh, this was my father-in-law who was a righteous man of God. He also regularly said, I'm going to work until this age and planned his whole life around that. And then the Lord had very different plans. Right. Um, And, you know, we have friends who have been working away at ministry. I I think of Peb working at ministry and benefiting so many people. He had no idea that the Lord was going to call him home in his 60s. Yeah. I don't think any of us would have thought that. But we don't know what the future holds. So I would say it's presumptuous, which the Bible describes presumption as a sin, um, to say, I just, I'm going to work until I'm 75. So go ahead and put that in my financial plan because I know it. I'm, no, that's not being very, very wise. Yeah. Um, and secondly, it's just flat out foolish to assume that you'll earn wages until you die. Um, you know, most people cannot. Uh, and to, to depend on that, um, aside from any sort of presumptuousness or whatever, it's just, it's unrealistic and not particularly wise. Um, So I know what you're saying now. You're saying number two thing I hear, but Mark, I've built assets that I will hold until I die and they, I will pass them on to my children. So they will be producing income for me my whole life and I don't need savings. And there's truth here. So we're big fans of assets that produce income. Yeah. Uh, but it's still a shaky ground, I would say, because some assets have to be sold if you want to get any Realize money out of them. them. Yeah. Uh, number one here is a vacation home. Uh, not picking on vacation home owners. I have a vacation home. But I hear this a lot from people who really just want a vacation home. And they kind of run in our world of like build up assets, multi-generational vision. They're like, this is part of our family vision and it's an asset for yeah. the future. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. great, but it's 30% of your net worth and you're going to need that money to live 
in, in when you retire. So yeah. you're going to have to sell it. So it's not multi-generational at all. Um, a vacation home can be a multi-generational blessing if you have enough cash flow to pay for all your bills with just ignoring that this thing exists. But if it's a chunk of your wealth, you might have to sell it and then it's not a multi-generational asset and it's not a particularly good investment either. Well, I would um, say, just to make the obvious point, we, we want to pop as many of those bubbles as we can. When people lie to themselves about their finances, it's part of our job to pop those bubbles, which is why brutal honesty is one of our values um, because, because you deserve to have somebody tell you the truth. And... Um, your vacation house or ranch or f family retreat headquarters or whatever you want to call it is either a multi-generational asset or it's a financial asset, but it's not both because if you're going to keep it for multi-generations, you're not selling it. So that means it's of no financial value to you at all, except it might be something you can borrow money against. Um, but you're not going to realize the value of the place. Oh, it's appreciating by X percent a year. Well, that's irrelevant if you're keeping it yeah. for multi-generations. So stop kidding yourself. Right. Um, so that's, we could do a whole episode on it, but your lake house is not a uh, multi-generational wealth building play. It's right. either, like you said, it's either something that you can afford to basically forget that it exists financially, yeah. or you're probably gonna have to sell it and yeah. you're, you're fooling yourself. Um, but a lot of people have assets that aren't that. They they might have rental homes or they might buy a business uh, that produces cash flow. Um, those are good assets and they certainly can be a part of a retirement funding picture. But you have to give those all a haircut for your later years mm -hmm. because there's a lot of rental properties. Go drive around and look at rental properties that are falling apart. And I bet you in a lot of the situations, some 85-year-old is trying to manage them himself and he doesn't have the time or energy to keep them tip top. So what you end up needing to do in order to not have that asset become far less valuable, if not worthless, um, is you have to give some of the money that those assets produce to someone else, yeah. um, whether that's a business or a rental home or whatever. Um, so that's that's worth considering. And lastly, if you're a business owner and you have a booming business, you know, you and I both have businesses. You have multiple businesses. There's really not that many businesses that are truly multi-generational, um, meaning there's a chance that our kids will want to be financial planners and carry on out. Right. That could happen, but there's also a good chance that they won't. Yeah. And maybe we sell this business when we are in our 60s and 70s. Yeah. Um, and that's fine. I, I do hear, though, a lot of people that own a business, you know, they they have a uh car dealership that's a bad example because if you have a car dealership you have you have some coin but uh <laughs> yeah they they own a restaurant and they say this business does great for us we're going to just you live off the income of this business until we die and our kids will do it too and then you realize oh your kids don't want to do this and the the lifespan of a restaurant is not 200 years it's more like 30 yeah um, so it's just important not to self deceive and say well, I've built enough assets that cash flow for me today, and that will be the case forever. Yep. Um, another one I hear, and this might be along the same lines, is I'm investing in eternal things now that further my family vision. So I don't really need to. I don't. I don't want to put all my money into an IRA 
that doesn't that doesn't get us any closer to our family vision. Um, that doesn't move our multi generational uh, outlook forward. Um, and more often than not, this is really just code for I would like to be irresponsible today and buy things that I can enjoy now. Yes. Um, instead of actually having a multi generational vision, which would yes. involve making sure I am stable for the long haul, so that I can invest my time and my money and all that other stuff in something that will last longer than me. Yes. So vacations is an example. I see families say, we know, Mark, you told us, you told us to fund the, the IRAs this year, but we just felt like we needed a big trip. Uh, and shout we out to it. vacations because we're not anti-vacation here at the Abraham's Wallet Podcast. Oh, heck no. No, uh, we just did an episode where people can can get their uh, get their vacation strategic planning guide and sure. sort out sort it out. Um, but I think you have to earn the right to spend on the enrichment of family vision. Uh, if you're doing that by ignoring your eventual needs in retirement, it's like people who tell me, "Hey, we are we have just decided we're going to be radically generous." And I'm like, but you have $30,000 in credit card debt. So you've already given away all your money. Uh, it's not yours anymore. It belongs to the people you owe. Um, you haven't earned the right to be generous yet. So let's take care of the debt and then let's move on to radical generosity and obedience. Uh, that's how I feel about families that kind of make this excuse that we just feel like right now is the time to pour into our family and someday we'll deal with how we're going to eat. Yeah, right. And the last one that I hear is... Mark, why are you bothering me about this? I, I'm 45 and I've already got $500,000 in the bank saved for retirement. Um, and to that, I, I would kind of point people back to this episode we did a while ago on is a million, does it, having a million dollars make me rich? Yeah. And the answer is, well, maybe it depends on a lot of things. For, for these people who think, I'm way ahead of the game and that they could fill that in with any number. They could say, I've got $2 million or they could say, I've got a hundred thousand dollars or $20,000. What I think I would like to finish this up with is kind of technical, which is what do you actually need to retire on? Um, And traditional wisdom, if you just go Google it, what do I need to retire? I guarantee you the top 10 results will all say the same thing. Some version of you need about 80% of your pre-retirement income so that you can sustain the same lifestyle in retirement. I think this is probably silly for most of our listeners. So if they're making $100,000 right before they retire, I think most of our listeners actually, despite all the bashing I've done in the last couple minutes, uh, they, they don't max out their lifestyle and spend most of what they've got. I think they're giving generously. They're saving for family. They do believe in it leaving an inheritance is an important thing. So they might need 60% of what they were making pre-retirement. They might need way less than that if they're making a ton of money. Um, But um, yeah, I think that they're probably not spending 80% of their money in their 40s and 50s. So it's not 80% consumption, which means they might not need that much. But One thing that we do when we work with a family is we are very careful to boil a family's budget down to what does this family actually need to maintain their month-to-month operations. 
Um, and we use that number to think about emergency fund, how big should that be? But we also use it to think about retirement. Like what does it cost to operate this household for a month? And we use that to kind of get to uh, how much does this family actually need to save? Um, and that that's kind of a complicated exercise because it involves conversations about, well, how much generosity are we going to do if we're spending savings now um, and not earning income? What does tithing look like for us? All sorts of good conversations that, that go into that. But we, we get to a, what does it cost to run our household for a month? And if you want kind of a back of the napkin calculation, um, think about being able to safely withdraw about 4% of your investments each year without invading the principal. So that means the amount of money you started with if you take out 4% a year and you invest wisely, we think that you probably still have about that much money left when you're dead because you're never going to draw it down. Um, so if you make a $100,000 before you retire and you want to have 60% of that income, um, then you need a lot more than most people think to have $60,000 a year of retirement income. You need about $1.5 million. Um, that's... that's uh, 60k which on 60k yeah 60k is not taking your five children and all your 25 grandchildren on giant multi-generational family vacations no it is not um now there's nothing wrong with 60k you can do most of the things we've talked about in this episode on 60k yes Yes. uh but if you're thinking hey we we have vision for we we did buy that lake house and we want to we want to do good stuff for our grandkids. We want to travel. We want. You're going to need a lot more than that. And so that's where another bubble that I like to pop for people is just you needed to save a lot more than you think you do most likely. Um, and you can you can listen to a bunch of stuff we've talked about about compound interest and how do I get to what I need. Um, I don't think we're going to talk about that today. Um, but I do think that it's important, you know, when we work with a family at our financial planning company, we go through massive detail. We think about taxes, multi-generational goals, medical care, grandchildren. And our goal is to help a family really understand what their needs are going to look like and come up with a plan that contemplates all sorts of twists and turns in the road for, well, what happens if the Great Depression occurs 10 years before we were going to retire, was that, do we just not retire then? Um, you don't have to hire a financial planner to do that, but you do need to do good financial planning. So for a lot of people, that means hiring a financial planner to help you really map all that out, run a bunch of simulations, figure out what are the odds that we're going to be successful in all these goals. Um, I had a call with somebody that called us today to ask about working with us. And I, I think the, the takeaway was you shouldn't hire us because you are really, really into some of this stuff yourself. And all you need is a very light, light touch, uh, guidance. So that is some people, I think it's about five or 10% of people at most. Yeah. Um, most people really do go. Yeah. I thought I could just plug my number into the, the Google calculator and it would say you need $1.4 million and then we're done. And I will tell you that's not sufficient. Um, to really be faithful and prepare for what we're describing here, which is a biblical retirement that frees you up 
to do the things that you were created to do as a father, someday a grandfather, and uh, part of the kingdom, a city father, uh, Lord willing. That's all I got, Stephen. I don't know if I've convinced you that retirement is not only biblical, but failing to retire is a sin. That's excellent. I think it's very helpful to put it in terms of if in your 20s, 30s, 40s, you spend a whole lot of your day earning income, you have time with your family, and you have the dregs of your time that I can invest in a handful of other men, for instance, that those ratios should change dramatically as you get older so that if we can remove that entire chunk of earning income, then you can be the blessing that you were created to be in in your wisdom years, your gray hair years, so that investing in your family first and in the and then the community at large, that then eats up your whole pie. And that's a very exciting prospect. It's a very different ambition than we're, when we're sold on Aetna commercials. Um, but it's, it's, it's clearly God's intention for us. I think it's great to put that ambition in place. And then to, I mean, it's a different conversation to encourage people to go like, how do I start walking there financially? But I like your I like your warning slash encouragement that um, living your best life now and living like you're an Instagram celebrity on your vacations while you disregard putting money aside for um, retirement is not only irresponsible, it's a cheat on the generations that come after you because they deserve to have access to you in your old age when you're a a Titus II woman. And you have wisdom to give to young mothers, but you're not available. You know why? Because me and the husband, we're still working to make ends meet, Um, not to disparage anybody who's in that position. But if you're in your 20s right now, we can tell you that if you will act right and behave financially, you should not be in that position 40, 50 years from now. You should be in a position of financial freedom so that you can do the things that you're supposed to be doing for your family and for the community at large. So I think it's well said. Because I'm not going to be allowed to uh, do it when I'm retired, I guess I'm going to take a week off of podcasting and go play golf in St. George. You do that. And I I hope everyone had a good Purim. And I hope you enjoyed the Hamantaschen. And uh, Uh, quick question there. Do you guys view the Hamantaschen as Haman's ears or Haman's hat? Um, I just heard it as Haman's ears. So that's what's always, that's in my brain. Okay. Thank you. That helps me win an argument. If it's Haman's ears, then it troubles me about what the red goo in the middle that we're licking out is. That, That can only be earwax, correct? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't want to tell you, but we, we filled ours with Nutella this year. So. Oh, nice. All right. Well, it might be something else. <laughs> <laughs> Another part of, uh, Heyman's, uh, uh, body. Okay. Well, ha- happy trip to, um, let me see if I can come up with this again. St. Edward. St. George. St. George. Yeah. Okay. That'd be a fun quiz is that who can name two cities in Utah? And I guess people would probably see Park City or wait, where is that? Where's that city where those uh, where those um, Mormons killed everybody? Provo. Provo. I think people know Moab. Yeah. 
But is that um, a city? Is Moab a city? Sure. Oh, okay. I think of it as a as a Wild West outpost, the where where there's a little bit of mountain biking and somebody throwing a raft into the river. Yeah. It's it's one of the bigger cities in Utah, though, outside okay. of Salt Lake. All right. Well, enjoy your Utah adventure. We'll see everybody next week. Thanks for stop, stopping in on the old Ace Wallet. Adios.